Hey, hey, what's up, gang? Welcome to another episode of Wizards Weekly Musings. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, as usual, make sure go follow me on Instagram at Wizard of Soho and subscribe to my website, wizardofsoho.com, for tons of premium content. Website subscribers will actually have a chance to be invited to a very special event I'm going to be hosting end of October so in New York City. So make sure you're all subscribed and set to be able to buy those tickets. Before we delve into markets or wine or anything else, I want to address something first. The title of this podcast, why is this the best financial, mar- financial markets podcast in the world? You know, for people who clicked after reading, uh, I want to tell you, listen, right away, this is not clickbait. And um, we'll go through it right away before we do anything else. Now, the heading of this podcast obviously seems a little bit arrogant and strong, but it is very important. Everything here is raw and uncut. I don't have any editing software other than the recording software. Uh, I recently just bought a mic because everybody said I needed to improve the quality of the sound, and I hope the quality has improved. Uh, I don't have any staff to do these podcasts. No ads, as you all know. I do everything ad-free. Everything is pure and raw from my straight from the heart. Every, po- every other podcast out there, all these other podcasts, a lot of you guys have been sending me podcasts you like, or you know, I've run into a couple that show up on Apple Podcasts. Every other podcast has some form of agenda. They want to make money off podcasts, or they want to facilitate their own internal bias, or their own agenda. I have nothing of the sort. All of my podcasts are purely for educational purposes. You guys know I, I never, I always say everything is, nothing is for investment advice. Everything's purely for education. Uh, I'm well off in my private life, as many can see from my Instagram, so I have no reason to have any hidden biases or agenda. Everything is just for the betterment of people listening and for education. It is essentially free education in a way of me giving back to the community and making you guys realize what really matters and what doesn't and not to be fooled by all the stuff you see on the news. Uh, some news is good, uh, but you know, everywhere there's some kind of agenda, especially because of ads. You know, most of the other podcasts also focus on retail investors, right? There's stock pickers, there's the financial gurus. But here is something you know, not many people, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know. Uh, the absolutely most important part of anybody's you know, investments, whether it's retirement or your own personal investment or children's school, school fund, the most important thing is asset allocation. And nobody, nobody, nobody talks about it. They don't even talk about it on the big TV shows, um, Bloomberg or CNBC, Fox, NBC News. I do like CNBC and I have something special to tell you later about that, but you know, none of these shows tell you about that. They don't talk about asset allocation at all. They only talk about, oh, this is a great stock. Oh, buy Amazon, buy Apple, go buy this, you know, up and coming oil company or midstream company or uh, some tech, you know, Uber or whatever, right? Or some penny stocks. Like, uh, you know, um, it doesn't matter if you listen to someone who told you to pick some oil company that may be going up or a penny stock or even tell you to buy real estate or buy a house. If you get your asset allocation wrong, none of that matters. Even if those stocks triple in money, quadruple in money, if everybody is telling, you know, is trying to tell you of this glory of becoming a day trader or a stock trader or a forex trader or even Bitcoin, it's all gambling at the end of the day if you're doing it just for fun and it doesn't matter to your future. But if you want to get it right or you want it to matter to your future, you have to get your asset allocation right or it is all absolute nonsense. To get your allocation right, you have to think about the world in a bigger picture. 
You have to understand what is driving the economy. You have to think about what is going on around the world that, if, that affects different types of investments. You have to build thematic views in your mind and then decide, well, what asset will give you the best return based on this view? You also have to look at your goals of investment and the time horizon and use that to come up with the correct allocation. You know, for example, if your goal is to have money safe and don't care about, you know, just want to make sure your $100 stays $100 and you don't care about growing $100 into $150, then, you know, you need to be in things like U.S. Treasuries or even cash or bills, uh, commercial paper. If you're focused on growing it as much as you can, then you need to be in the most risky products while knowing the downside that, listen, you could lose a good chunk. High risk, high reward. I mean, that's the name of the game. But everything is, comes down to allocation. Getting the correct allocation is the ultimate challenge. Just a quick sip of water. Asset allocation basically aims you know, to balance the risk and reward by you know, appropriating your portfolio's uh, assets according to goals, risk tolerance, and the horizon, as I mentioned. The three main asset classes, uh, we all know this, equities, fixed income, and cash. There are several, several you know, layers underneath each asset class. Uh, equities has public equity. Uh, there's private equity. Public equity has stocks that are blue chip and safe stocks. Uh, then there's you know, uh, things that are very low probability of losing a lot. Stocks that are called min-wall stocks, minimum volatility stocks, that are usually safe. And when there's a market downturn, as in if the market goes down, then these stocks won't go down as much as the, uh, the rest of the stock market or so on. Um, so you know, th- th- there's, there's, those are different types of you know, public equity. Uh, then you know, like there's private equity that you know before they become uh, companies before they've gone public, like you can't go buy them on an exchange or so on. You only like VC or private equity funds will go buy them or be able to put money in them, and uh, um, it's very it's out of reach out of uh, regular retail investors, mom and pop investors. Fixed income obviously is the biggest market in the world, the other asset class, and significantly eclipses stock markets. Uh, mom and pop investors or day traders are playing around in stocks, but the biggest hedge funds, the large asset managers, the PIMCOs, the Black Rocks, the real big boys all play in the fixed income market, which is everything from government debt, company debt, emerging markets. I mean, uh, you, people talk about playing with different companies. I mean, these are countries that you're gambling on and making educated decisions depending on your risk tolerance. You know, there are several, several, several layers of risk as you go up and down the credit and fixed income. And the last one, cash. Cash is basically cash. You can literally just plain old cash that you hide in your mattress or, you know, you have U.S. bills or you can buy commercial paper, which is a very short duration, uh, very short time uh, period. So it stays, um, you know, very liquid and you're not going to lose your money. You'll just, you won't make a lot, but you'll stay safe and maybe give you some return, maybe, you know, 2% annual um, Maybe like you know, one month bills America right now is around, say, one point eight to two percent uh, um, for one month. It's not too bad annualized. So to give you an idea, say you're listening to some podcast or you know somewhere some financial guru, and they say, oh, go buy whatever. Let's pick Snapchat. And now you went and you bought it. You put a thousand dollars into it, and it's now worth. Fifteen hundred, mid five hundred dollars. You're like, wow, this is amazing. You turned a thousand dollars into fifteen hundred dollars. Cool, five hundred dollars. But what if during this time the entire stock market rallied, and stock market actually rallied so that the thousand dollars in stock market would have been sixteen hundred. 
So now you're so pumped. You just made $500 by signing up for some stock picking podcast or a stock picking course on one of these Instagram clowns or listening, you know, uh, like in, in, in all, all honesty, any idiot could have gone and picked up the stock market index or buy an ETF in the stock market or buy the futures where there's no thinking. It's like, listen, I'm just going to go long the stock market, but just you know, wants to be long stocks and he just outperformed you or she, what is your value? In, in reality, you didn't make $500. You actually lost $100 to the index. If you cannot beat the index, then you should not be buying stocks. I mean, what's the point? If you pick stocks that beat the index, sure, good for you. But otherwise, what's the point, right? Now, let's look at this other scenario. If somebody else, you know, Chad, the first one's Chad, this one's Brad. <laughs> you know, Brad went and, uh, you know, you did all this. You bought Snap, you made 500 bucks, you lost 100 to the index, whatever. Say, uh, you know, uh, Brad went and bought bonds, U.S. bonds, the safest product in the world. He, you, you know, you gave um, $1,000 you put into bonds, and they're 2000 now. This is kind of actually how the market's been going uh, recently. Bonds have been outperforming stocks, but let's say that happens. You made $2,000, right? So being in bonds would have doubled your money. Now you're underperforming every bond guy in the world because even the dumbest bond person just bought bonds and not being stocks, and now he's outperforming. Now let's say your third scenario. What if you did 50-50? Both go down 500, and now, so you put in $1,000, and the market goes down, and you just lost $500. Now the person who was in cash, your third asset, Right, we have free assets. Remember, equities, fixed income, and cash. Now you bought fifty percent stocks, fifty percent bonds, but the market went down both sides. Now the person who's in cash is king because his cash is equivalent. He's top because you guys just lost five hundred dollars, and he's flat. So technically, he just beat the index by five hundred dollars. So this is what I'm saying. Asset allocation is the most important, and nobody, nobody else talks about it. And I, I feel like I don't specifically tell you that this would be your asset allocation, but this is a podcast that kind of helps you understand on things like bonds and interest rates. And, you know, we're going to get into FX going forward more as well. So this will get you a bigger, it's kind of help open your mindset, open your brain up to the bigger picture of the world, what's not stocks. You know, um, you can just buy outright stocks if you want to get stock exposure. You don't have to go buy specific companies or all this nonsense. Trust me. I mean, just go look at performances of, you know, you think a, a, a $30 billion hedge fund, they're making money by buying Snap? No, they're, there's not even $30 billion of Snap out there to buy, you know what I mean? So uh, that's why fixed income is so important, and that's why I think this is one of the best, um, you know, uh, podcasts. And that's why I was a little aggressive. You know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I just wanted to get you guys to understand what the bigger picture is, you know. Here, one of the questions I was asked, uh, and you know, I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this on Instagram, is, um, you know, how much should I be in stocks? How much should I be in bonds? And I was having this conversation with this guy, and uh, you know, there's no simple formula that can find the right asset allocation for every individual, right? In other other, other words, the selection of individual securities, so stock picking, is all secondary to you know the overall asset that you put into stocks, bonds, and cash or cash equivalent, which will be the main determinant of your investment result. Now, to give you an idea how far back this goes, you know, the first appearance of asset allocation in literature actually appears from 500 AD. The Babylonian text actually reads, quote, unquote, one should always divide his wealth into three parts, a third in land, a third in merchandise, 
and a third ready to hand. While it is possible that this was good advice at the time, you know, I prefer the objective time-tested blocks of Harry Markowitz and the capital asset pricing model. In 1952, economist Harry Markowitz introduced the modern portfolio theory in his essay titled Portfolio Selection. In 1990, actually, the Swedish Academy of Sciences, the one they gave out the Nobel Prize in Economics, gave him the Nobel Prize in Economics for his theory on portfolio choice. Now, in his essay, Markowitz uses, obviously, assumptions of rational investors and markets to kind of find an efficient frontier uh, of portfolios where you can maximize return based on any given level of risk. You know, how many bonds to own, how many stocks to own, and what is the perfect ratio. While this remains, you know, a very extremely important work, a flaw remained in that, and this is very important, future returns do not always equal historical returns. And with this, I bring you on to our podcast for today. I know it's been a big introduction, but I hope you guys enjoyed that part. But let's, uh, you know, get back to, this is kind of what I'm saying. Like, this is why I think this is the best podcast out for, you know, uh, for people who want to learn. I'm not going to tell you what to invest in. I'm not going to tell you what stock to pick, what bond to pick, but I'll give you my thoughts about how the world is moving and what is going on so that you guys can make your own great decisions and come up with better ideas for your allocation than maybe anybody else. If not, do what most people do. Put your trust in your financial advisors or asset managers and let the smart people do the work for you, which is fine and perfectly reasonable and done by a majority of the world. But at least I can help you understand what they're doing or how your money is moving around the system. Plus, listen, these are the kind of things we need to learn, especially if you're at the age where you want to have kids, you want to get a house, you want to grow your, you know, figure out your retirement, uh, you want to retire early. This is why this podcast, you know, I think is very important. And I keep saying we're going to get back to our regular, regular podcast, but let's, let's start. Let's start our regular podcast today. So, Everything, obviously, in this podcast is, you know, educational and not investment advice. Past results are not a sign of future returns. Remember that. What are we drinking today? We got a, a, a nice glass of wine. Uh, we got Palmeyer 2017 Chardonnay. I think I was having it last time, too. Uh, oh, no, I had the Schaefer Chardonnay and then the Wayfair Pinot. It's really delicious. It's like a really, really good Chardonnay, I think. Very enjoyable. Um, Speaking of wines, I have something very exciting coming for people. Subscribe to my website and on my Instagram. I'm going to be uh, doing something wine-related. I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but at the next podcast, I will be announcing it. Uh, I think it's going to be very exciting. It's been doing a lot of tastings, and uh, we're going to come up with something really cool. And I'm going to be launching my article off the top 10 Napa wines under $100, which also should be pretty cool. It took a lot of tastings and a lot of wine drinking, so I hope you guys appreciate it. So let's, let's do a recap. Let's see what's going on in the world. So let's do a recap of where we are in the trade war since everything escalated uh, week before uh, last week and the week before that. You know, the new tariffs uh, will test the resiliency, obviously, of U.S. consumption you know, compared with previous rounds of tariffs in the upcoming batch. Uh, it actually covers, uh, which actually went into play September 1st, uh, two days ago. Um, the people following me on my Instagram, I'm sure you guys saw me post about that. The new tariffs will test the resiliency of U.S. consumption because compared to the previous rounds of tariffs that we have had, the upcoming batch covers a much greater share of consumer goods. I think there's a higher risk of the trade war expanding into 
uh, a conflict of basically bilateral investment and currencies. And something very interesting happened as well. An important spokesperson for Chinese, um, for Chinese government, the chief editor of the Global Times, uh, he said, we have nothing more to lose, while, whereas the U.S. is just starting to lose China. He said that he wants President Trump to relocate GM, Ford, and other automotive companies to give that market share to European and Japanese uh, competitors. There's nothing official uh, yet regarding this, but it is an important change in tone that more retaliation is possible in other spaces. I think China might roll out its own you know, uh, unreliable entity list uh, that targets U.S. businesses like U.S. has done with Huawei. Uh, I think the Trump administration likely needs to see clearer signs. You know, he, he obviously Trump's got his kind of hands on, you know, his foot on the Chinese neck, kind of. I guess you could say that, uh, just kind of putting putting you know constant pressure that you know he needs to see a deal. He needs to see a deal. Uh, if not, there's gonna be more tariffs. Just kind of being the pressure, and I don't think that you know. I think it's the Trump needs to see clearer signs of economic weakness before backing down from his rhetoric. Recession risks are rising, obviously, with a slowdown in manufacturing and business investment um, coming down. But GDP, you know, still remains decent and labor is relatively solid as well. We had ISM number today, this morning, that's September 3rd, uh, which was not the greatest. And let's talk a little bit about that, too. So ISM, right. So ISM, so ISM is a really good um, you know, uh, proxy uh gauge of the economy and how manufacturing in this country is going and it slipped uh you know below 50 it slipped to 49.1 is the first time it's been below 50 in three years uh unemployment uh, complex of it fell 40 to 47.4 along with a few other indicators uh, is basically suggesting a weak payrolls report this friday potentially the fall in export orders and the rising negative gap between the new orders and inventories were obviously very varying as well uh, in the report, but manufacturing is still only 10% of the economy. Non-manufacturing and service PMIs are due later this week, and they've held up uh, better so far. And, you know, this is kind of very important because if Trump starts seeing a, a real U.S. slowdown, he's going to have to do something. I mean, he's going to have to let go or... Uh, the Fed's just going to have to aggressively cut. You know, recession risks are, like I said, they're rising. Uh, but GDP growth is still decent. It's still uh, annualized, you know, above 2%. Uh, a recession is considered when it's negative, like Germany and so on. They're in a technical recession because their GDP is negative. But we're still running um, 2%. The nominal uh, GDP with inflation is running 4%. So it's it's still doing great. America's still doing great. So Trump definitely has the upper hand here. Even the market volatility has not been that bad this week. Uh, even overall, you know, stock markets are down six percent from all time high. I mean, that's not that's nothing. Six percent from all time high. The Fed, obviously, I mean, the administration, the White House, all you know, seems to be counting on the Fed to underwrite the trade war. In his Jackson Hole speech on Friday, uh, Chairman Powell delivered a mixed message on trade. He said that while the Fed would not respond to every twist and turn in the trade war, it would adjust policy on how trade developments are affecting outlook. Even with the Fed easing, the trade war definitely will still take a toll on the U.S. economy. And these are kind of things we need to watch out. And I think if we get a bad payroll number on Friday, and this is something you guys all should kind of uh, be on the lookout for every Friday, 
8.30 Eastern Standard Time, we get non-farm payroll numbers, which is the employment data for U.S. It's from the month before, and it's probably one of the most important um, numbers to look at. Uh, people who have bought my course obviously know that uh, I made a whole list of the most important economic numbers the investors need to know. Maybe I'll make an article or maybe some kind of shortened version of the course so people can get an idea and also be able to help with this podcast because people get an idea what I'm talking about, some of the technical jargon. So yeah, this thing you guys should all be on the watch for and that's going to be a big part of uh, what happens uh, this week. I'm going to be talking about that a lot in my next podcast next week because that's going to be such an important number. But the biggest thing to know is that's going to be a big, potentially a big driver of what the Fed does this month. We got, I think it's the 17th is the Fed meeting where they'll decide that they want to cut rates more. And it's very possible that this number could decide if they should cut 25. I think most likely they will cut 25 basis points. But at this point, it'll it's really come down to where people are saying they might, might need to cut 50 basis points to keep the economy going or make sure that it's not you know, if you wait too late, the economy might actually go into a recession. And, you know, it might be kind of tough to get back out fast enough. But if they cut preemptively, even though we are nowhere close to a recession right now, it might be a good thing. And this is something the Fed has alluded to. We actually have a lot of Fed speakers coming up uh, this week. So we'll get an idea on what they're thinking, what kind of guidance we want to give to the market. And we'll talk about this and I'll make an article on this for my website subscribers as well you guys know i always do this article on what i think the fed's going to do the day before the meeting and give my views out uh, this will be on wizardofsoho.com uh other than that yeah we're, let's all look forward to what happens with that um nothing else uh, really to talk about in terms of recap of the week you know uh, stock market was down today on the ism number and bonds were up, uh, 10-year rates around 145, and looks like they're going to keep going lower. Inflation looks like it's getting crushed. I mean, 30-year inflation right now uh, has dropped 11 basis points in the last two days. I think that's more flow-related and not where true inflation is. Who knows? True inflation could actually be even lower. The way inflation is calculated in America is used this thing called CPI index, and it's kind of outdated, but that is what we have, and that's what um, the measure for inflation is. One other cool thing I want to do uh, in this podcast, um, I put out on my Instagram um, during a, not an AMA, but I just put out, you know, you guys, what questions you want me to answer during these podcasts. So every podcast now, I'm going to leave with two to three questions that's asked by the audience. Uh, if you guys want me to answer questions, make sure you go follow me on my Instagram or on my website and put in the questions over there. And I'll make sure to answer them um, in in my podcast. Quick one. Uh, the first uh, the, a question was, how does the all so the debt that's held by China? How does that affect in this trade war? What if China decides to sell all the debt that they own? Will that is that a good uh, bargaining tactic for the Chinese against the U.S.? And the clear question to that, uh, the answer to that for me is that. No, they do not have any upper hand in doing that. Uh, it does not affect the, the markets in any way. They have, what, like say a trillion in, uh, around a trillion, I forget what the last number is, but I, I mean, actually they're not even the largest bondholders of America anymore. I believe Japan is now, but China, is, that's, they still have a significant amount. They can't sell our debt. Even if they sold debt, the, the appetite 
for the world's most safest asset is insatiable. The fact that 10-year rates are at 1.45, that people are willing to lock in 1.45% return on 10 years shows that it does not matter if China wants to sell all the debt they own. If they sell it, good. There are so many buyers of it. The problem will be they would hurt themselves because A, by selling that, if they think that they can pressure the debt down, the, the prices of U.S. bonds lower by selling a trillion, they were going to hurt their own portfolio because you can't sell a trillion in bonds right like that. It takes a while to, for that liquidity to be absorbed by the market. And they're going to hurt their own portfolio and lose a lot of money. Plus, if this trade war keeps going more and more, the demand for U.S. debt is only going to get higher. So if they have U.S. debt on their portfolio, on the Chinese portfolio, they're crushing it. They're actually doing really good. Their mark-to-market on their bond holdings is like absolutely amazing. So why would they sell it? Second, if they sell a trillion, they need to put that trillion into something else. There are no other assets in this size, in this big size, with this kind of credit rating and this kind of safety that exist where they can deploy a trillion like they want. So they have no choice. So this debt, using the debt as a trade tactic against the U.S. is not something they can do because it's just not feasible. And pretty sure that's the answer. Uh, I don't if somebody has any other view on that, please let me know. But I that's definitely my that my personal view and that seems to be the view of a lot of uh, other bond traders out there but love to hear your thoughts on it just send me a message on instagram or on my website forums and we can talk about it the second quick question i want to uh, answer is about cfas so cfa uh this is a question i get asked a lot what do you think about cfa cfa should i get it would i rather get an mba or cfa you know, it's weird. I obviously, I full disclosure, I do not have a CFA, nor do I plan on ever getting a CFA. But it is interesting, especially on the buy side. You know, on the sell side, nobody has a CFA. Nobody even really is trying to get a CFA. Um, maybe it's a thing that people are doing in bank, investment banking, or the sales, maybe or something. But in trading, nobody cares about it. Um, what I've noticed, though, is the buy side absolutely loves the CFA for some reason. And I tried to dig in why that was the case, especially the big asset managers. Uh, their firms, their asset managers on the West Coast, even some of the big ones, where you basically cannot get promoted until you get a CFA or you can't go up too high unless you get a CFA. So that's kind of weird. Um, so what my understanding is from my investigation that it's become like a more of a legacy thing where people back in the day would have CFAs and they went through the trouble of getting the CFA and they've kind of made it a legacy thing that, hey, I have a CFA, so if you go up, you want to get promoted, you have to get a CFA too. You have to put in the work to go get that CFA study and whatnot. So I think it's become less about actual material and more about the fact that you just put in the work and grind to get the CFA and, you know... yeah. That's not something I believe in. I think, you know, especially if you go to some technical degree like MFE or MBA, I don't think you need to get a CFA. It's uh, redundant. I think if you are in the industry for a while, a couple of years, and you've learned everything on the job, I don't think a CFA is really going to help you. Um, it's all basic knowledge anyways. Like if you've been trading already or you're on a sales and trading desk, I don't see the point of getting a CFA. But that's me. Um 
I think if you have never had much exposure to securities and you know things of that sort, and you want to get like a basic level of understanding, then maybe the CFA is for you. Uh, other than that, I don't really see the appeal, and I've had this argument a lot of times, especially people at my firm and elsewhere. My firm, there's so many CFAs, and it's a big deal, but it's something I just... It's just not something I, I really could carry. It does not get me excited if I see a resume with a CFA anymore. I'd get more excited if I see somebody with a technical degree, a uh, more quantitative degree, rather than having a CFA. You know, a lot of this finance stuff can be taught on the trading desk. There's a lot of traders out there who are you know, pure math majors or engineering majors, and they had no knowledge of finance, and they came and they learned. Because you can learn this stuff, the base knowledge, the quantitative knowledge, the critical thinking, the fast speed uh, of learning, that's way more important than some title, let's say, CFA. Anyway, so that's my thought on that. Uh, happy to discuss it more. would love to see what your thoughts are. Feel free to message me. Let's see what else questions we have. Uh, more trade war. I'm just scrolling through the questions that people put out. A lot of trade war questions. I feel like I've answered this pretty well over the last little while. Make sure you go listen to my second podcast. I talk about the trade war and how I look at a trade war in detail. But this is gonna be the trade war is gonna be something I'm gonna have to talk about in every podcast since I'm doing a review of everything happens in the week before, and that's about it. Um, let's see what else we got. Okay, Fed. Will the Fed cut? Yes. I mean, I've. I, I don't want to, you know, talk about it again. You know what? I'll go in detail on the Fed cut in my next podcast because that's going to be right before the um, actual meeting of the FOMC. So I think uh, we'll be able to cover that. I'll cover that in very, very detail and what I think might happen to the stock market and so on. A question I got about, uh, it was funny, I actually got a few questions about asset allocation. And the question was, uh, in a 20-year horizon, what do you think is the best sort of investment? And listen, uh, I cannot answer that question because who knows what the future holds. But historically, equities have kind of you know outperformed uh, majority of the market. That's not been the case this year or last year. There's been uh, bonds have been doing really well. Uh, back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, when interest rates were around 15%, bonds out, there was a period of time when bonds outperformed equities back then too. But usual consensus is uh, if you equities should over time, since it's riskier, should outperform as, as long as you don't go too far down the risk scale. Uh, but this is something you guys need to decide on your own. And I hope uh, you know today's podcast kind of helped you guys make that decision about asset allocation, what's going on in the world right now and uh, you know help you get a more holistic thematic view on how to look at investments and how to look at it right now you know you got everything going on where trump is kind of saying things to escalate the global war, uh, trade war at the same time you have you know a natural slowdown happening in europe where the european central bank is easing germany is in negative uh, GDP, they're in a technical recession. Italy is going through a lot of political scenarios. South America is going through a lot of issues with Brazil. Uh, Argentina, obviously, is in the news all the time. I actually put out a great article about what's going on in Argentina on my website. If you want to go check it out, I'll make an update soon. But other than that, guys, this is going to be it for the, this podcast. Uh, short and sweet. Hope you guys like it.